Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com podcast. All right, let's get started. In this episode, I'm talking to Adam Duvander about technical content strategy. And it's really important to understand whether you are developer first or developer enabled in the way that you sell. Join us for a deep dive on those concepts. Let me also offer gushing praise for the books that Adam Devander has written. And if you are involved in developer relations, you need to read his books. I unashamedly recommend them. The first being Developer Marketing Does Not Exist. And the most recent one, Technical Content Strategy Decoded. I've just finished them and they are kind of awesome. Alrighty, let's talk to Adam. Hey, Adam, welcome, welcome to the BoxGig podcast. It is great to have you on here. Thank you for having me, yeah. Awesome. So you are the proprietor of everydeveloper.com. What do you do? Yeah, so uh, we work with technical companies with technical products and, and help them reach the audience that uses it. So primarily that's through content, content strategy, helping them create something that will attract and engage that audience. And the audience that we're talking about is developers? Primarily developers. So sometimes an audience doesn't call it developers, but it the same sorts of tactics are needed to reach that technical audience. It might be architects or it, it might be someone that really wants to call them engineers, right? Uh, there's yeah. a lot of kind of hazy ground in, in kind of uh, system administration and uh, operations and stuff. So they don't always call them developers, but it is definitely that kind of technical audience that uh, anyone who's in DevRel would be very familiar with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's not specifically technical content like tutorials and getting started guides. You operate you were saying more at the, the sort of marketing level. So it, uh, yeah, it can be those types of guides for sure. So anything that will, will attract that audience. So sometimes we end up in documentation, but most of the time we don't because documentation is kind of what that developer uses after they've discovered you. And our focus is much more on how can we help them discover you in the first place? And so Often that is through understanding what are the problems that they have, what are the things they're researching, what is it that this developer, engineer, architect wants to get better at, what are they trying to solve in their job, and if we can find that out and then speak to that uh, in a way that connects to our audience's product, and that's what, I mean, I think that's the stuff that that everyone in DevRel is really well positioned to do for their companies also, because they understand those problems and that audience in a way that many others don't. And so that's what we help our clients do is understand that and and engage, really. And do you find that your clients, are they, is it just a lack of resources that they cannot generate the content or do they, is it a strategy problem? They haven't quite figured out what what sort of content they need to develop? It can definitely be both. So 
it's often that the the ones who are responsible for that attraction are the ones who don't have the backgrounds in the product. And so they need some help articulating how do these how do these features here connect to the problems because otherwise uh, you end up in doing that making that classic marketing mistake of writing about features and not writing about benefits. But it's okay. actually quite difficult to write about benefits if you don't really understand how those how those help. And so helping to be that translator between between those and helping our clients understand that audience better is 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 where we where we play. So why are the companies not able to do it themselves? Right? Surely the, the people in marketing should be sitting down with their own developers. And I think they do in some cases. In in some cases, we end up in projects where we're sitting down with both of those sides and helping them have this collaboration and helping with that translation. Many times, uh, marketing looks to DevRel to help play some of that translation role. And we all know that DevRel has many, many different projects that that they could be working on and uh you know, it's not always uh, the the incentives aren't always aligned in those two orgs. Depending, they could be in completely separate organizations. I know that uh, Carolyn Luco did some some uh, research on that, and I think it was something like a third or less are in marketing. So that leaves many other departments where DevRel might sit. Um, and yeah, I, I have a blog post about kind of. <laughs> Here's how these two can get along and realize that actually everyone wants the same thing, which is to authentically engage that technical audience. And so finding the ways where those those goals overlap and how can, in our case, content help provide that. But there could be uh, there could be other types of uh, solutions there too, where DevRel and marketing could collaborate. So you okay? So I, I'm just trying to just trying to picture it in my mind. So you're sitting down, you're in the conference room. You have developers on the left, marketing on the right. You're in the middle, Joker in the middle. Um, Sometimes that's. I mean, going back to uh, going back to my time at SendGrid, that was that was kind of my role as uh, uh, develop in developer communications. Was I worked really closely with the DevRel team. I also worked really closely with marketing. Yeah, and many times it was kind of helping helping them see how how each of those uh, groups was doing great work. And when you're marketing to developers, I mean, okay, let, let, I mean, let, let's let's make it very concrete, right? This conference room that you're sitting in, this is a I don't know, Series A startup. They've definitely got some traction, um, but it's mostly developers that do the initial sign up. Um, so that's who you've got to go. That's who you've got to get on board. Um, uh, how do you market to those developers? Because I'm a developer and I, I really, marketing doesn't resonate with me a whole yeah. bunch. I'm like, yeah. show me the code. <laughs> and that's definitely, I mean, that's my background too. Uh, I should say that's, um, and so, uh, this is a, this is a wonderful softball for me to, uh, Mentioned my yeah. book, whose title <laughs> I think answers your question. Uh, I was getting that. Uh, 
that book is uh, developer marketing does not exist. And uh, that doesn't mean that they're, you know, get rid of all the marketers in uh, in those developer first organizations. No, they they have to uh, change kind of the um, the toolbox that they use. And as you mentioned, when you use kind of the traditional marketing toolbox, uh, it comes across as marketing and developers many times run away. And what we need to do is uh, is make sure that the marketing doesn't seem like marketing, <laughs> doesn't have that that uh, that smell that uh, that <laughs> that sends a developer running. Uh, you know, I mean, at the at the worst case, things like huge forms that they have to fill out, right? Something where it's uh, asking for your phone number, you know, what's on the other end of uh, <laughs> of hitting submit on that. You, Oh, yeah. Going to start blowing up uh, with uh, with sales calls, right? Like those are the sorts of things that uh, that a developer is not looking for. Um, if you look at kind of what what's the what's the currency that a developer yeah. that a developer community uses, I believe that it's knowledge. If you look if you look at open source and how it's adopted. It's really, it's yes, sharing code, but really behind that is kind of this knowledge and this, this, uh, these best practices that are baked into that code, and um, and so that's the that's the thing that developers appreciate, and if they see that coming from a company, they're much more likely to pay attention, and so that's the 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 approach to take to to be authentic with, with that technical audience. What, what does that mean in concrete terms, right? So I've got an API and SDKs or whatever. Are we talking about having 50 different tutorials for different use cases or is it something else? Potentially, de so definitely use cases is the first place I would look with, with an API. And that goes back actually to my time before developer marketing when I was a journalist at Programmable Web and before that Wired. And having to kind of answer that question, like why why would this thing that is someone's announcing, why would this be used? And so often that announcement was just all about the fact that they were announcing. And some of that might be the 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 time in the in the evolution of APIs, it was a time where it was still notable for someone to have an API. But still, I think even at that time, answering the question of why is this useful? Why, <laughs> what could someone build with this? Um, plenty of, of answers were, well, we don't wanna hold back anyone's, uh, anyone's creativity, but I think you need to have something to spark that creativity. And that's where, where those use cases can help from a documentation standpoint. And then what you're also talking about there is from an attraction standpoint, how does how does someone even realize that your, your API could be the solution to this problem they have? They are likely searching for, for that problem. So finding, finding a way to tap into those search results um, is one of the best ways to be able to reach a technical audience. So does does that mean 
if I'm engaging every developer.com, you guys are also writing code or do I write the code and then you sometimes sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, uh, the, our, our team, we don't always produce the content. Sometimes we're helping enable um, a client to be able to produce it internally, but uh, all of our, all of our writers are, and editors are are developers as well, right? They have that background, so that um, so that yeah, sometimes that is that is what's needed—a little bit of code um, to be able to connect things together. I do, especially with this. I know being a DevRel audience, uh, I do caution that just because there's code doesn't mean it's it's sort of technical content that will necessarily attract and engage that audience. So, uh, uh, I mean, it is technical content, but often technical content is, is not enough to actually engage. So, um, so that's where it goes again to that point of let's figure, yes, there, we might need some code if that's what helps explain this, (laughs) this problem that we're attempting to solve, but let's understand that problem first. Gotcha. So one format that I've seen, I'm curious if, if you do this as well and, and also how effective it is. The, the format is a uh, general technical question is addressed and then quite a lot of content is written in the first two thirds of the article, let's say, uh, going in depth, providing perspective, really useful material mm-hmm. on the problem itself, right? It, it might be, you know, how do I build a yeah. large language model or how do I deploy it, right? Something like that. And then the final third of the article, um, and maybe bait and switch is the wrong term to use <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because you've mm-hmm. already given a whole bunch of useful content. The final sort of third of the article is, uh, oh, and, and we have the solution and this is how you can apply yeah. it, right? So what do you think of that format? So I... I, it depends how long that is, you know, how, how much effort you've given. I, you know, I call that uh, earning the right to be able to mm. kind of say, oh, by the way, we have a tool that does this. If you've given enough value, education, knowledge in that top part of the article, then uh, then I think you've earned the right. And in, yeah. in some cases, in the, in the deepest version of that, uh, something that I've called signature content, I call that the uh, uh, the developer content mind trick, and that is in the in the best of circumstances, you're actually describing how they would solve that problem without your product, and that's when you've really earned the right to say, "Oh, by the way, we have this product." Gotcha. Because you've already told them, "Here's how you <laughs> here's how you solve this without us." You know, by the way, we've been we've been doing this for a while, but uh, uh, Launch Darkly does this really well, and um, and from the earliest days has. And their CEO Edith says uh, that her goal is to say you can build it, you shouldn't, but you could, right? Like like that sort yeah. of uh, yeah. that sort of conversation it's it's building up that that audience yes uh, you can do this um but as you said by the way we already have so can that be uh 
Can that be done poorly? Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, your description of it, maybe the two thirds, one third, that feels a little bit too weighted toward the product. And definitely if someone is feeling any bait and switch feeling, then uh, then you've done that in a way that, that oh, going to raise that that sort of guard and say, this is marketing. Oh no, let me run away. Right. Um, ideally you want them to, you want the reader to explore further after this, after this one uh, piece and not just, they might not be ready to sign up, but what is the, the obvious next step for them to take that is a little bit closer to the product? Are they looking at your documentation? Are they reading the next thing that is related and has another has another two thirds uh, or more of the article that is really digging into the background, right? If you want to train that LLM, here's how you do it, right? That that sort of uh, sort of next step where it's not necessarily product focused still, but it's um, it's helping continue that educational journey. Yeah, I mean, oh man, developers are. I mean, I know because I mean, you know, right? We're so prickly, right? Just, just the wrong tone, that extra paragraph, and we're out of there. You lose. Yeah, uh, you got to be so careful. Um, okay, so you have, you have a, you have, as you mentioned, that the your first book, right? Developer marketing does not exist. Do you go into all this stuff in that book? So, developer marketing does not exist. Yeah, it's it's very much the philosophy. So it it applies this this education, not promotion philosophy to multiple different content types and areas. So certainly things like blog posts and tutorials and guides like we've we've talked about now, but then also what does this look like when you go to events? What does this look like when uh, you're interacting with the community? And other things, uh, other things like that, and that's often where there can be one type of content, maybe that comes from DevRel that fully resonates. They understand the audience, but then if you have this this other content that, or an event, right? That uh, there's certainly content within an, an event that kind of is incongruent with what you've seen elsewhere. Then that kind of muddies the waters for what was a good interaction before. And so it's how can you have this philosophy throughout all of your interactions? Uh, there's a reason I start with developer experience as the first chapter, because my my definition of that is very broad. It's every every interaction a developer has with your company or product. So that can absolutely go to who do they meet in the the expo hall booth and um you know and is that interaction um one that feels authentic and so it's all about that that philosophy you mentioned the the second book which is technical content strategy decoded that takes a piece of that and and turns that into action so it says okay now it's we're ready to create this content strategy that can apply this philosophy and uh and so certainly doesn't, and that one doesn't go into events and advertising and other things like that, that developer marketing does not exist goes into, but it goes deeper into here's how you build this 
strategy. Here's how you do it in a way that um, that can be scalable and can really connect with an audience uh, and help them engage with your content. So that's okay. that's how I keep them separate in my mind is kind of philosophy and action. Yeah. So that book is 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 in the process. It's coming out soon, right? The the second one, which is it the second okay. one is available as an ebook right now. Oh, um, okay, cool. And very soon will be uh will be a print book and an audio book. Um yeah, so hitting all the formats with that one as well. Okay, okay so um I gave you a softball. I've got, I've got to get a, I've got to get a bit trickier now, okay? Because uh, different products and companies need different strategies. So maybe you could walk us through an example of a first company and a, and a particular content strategy for them, and then the difference uh, difference between a second company, which maybe has a different type of different type of market, maybe that sort of thing. So I don't know, maybe the first company, yeah. you know, developers use it directly, but with the second so, company, you got to get the yeah. CIO on board or something. I don't know. Exactly where I, where I was thinking with that. Yeah. So, um, and that really comes down to whether they're what I call developer focused or developer enabled. So a developer is involved in either case, but um someone that's developer focused that's where it is that uh that developer first is another name that people will use for it and that is they want to reach that developer directly and so that is a lot of what we've talked about now so that would be digging into those developer problems and figuring out a content strategy that connects to those so wanting to make sure that it's not scattershot reactionary topics and that instead you really understand these kind of uh, HubSpot calls them content clusters. Uh, I talk about them as uh, as concepts and building a concept catalog is is what I talk about in the in the second book in the the act take action book. And so what are those areas where we we think we can, attract a lot of developers directly and help them help them understand um, this problem that they're trying to solve and eventually how we can help do that. Okay, the, so that's the developer-focused That's strategy, That's right? the developer-focused one. Gotcha. So then the developer-enabled is more, it is a tool where someone else is the buyer, whether that is uh, kind of in that engineering chain, or often it's over in another department, but it is still a technical tool that developers are the ones who have to build, have to integrate, and because of that, have to be involved, but they are unlikely to be the one who discovers it. And so here is where you, again, need to talk about these problems that it solves, but it's probably in a higher level way, in the sort of way that developers might be less interested in that. You know, they may they may discover it just uh, when they're on a project, but it's much more likely to have someone else discover that kind of. It's more classic B two B content. Honestly, with developer in the name of our company, we do little of that, <laughs> and we are more likely to think about where does that developer need to interact with that? So 
And that is, where is that next step? So that is a time when it's more likely to look like documentation because, again, they've discovered uh, the product already. So the attraction part is not part of the goal. It's the, in in some cases, it's just simply the goal is get a de- developer's thumbs up, right? Other other stakeholders have bit, have already bought in, but this is a place where, and we've worked with clients like this, where where the deal is lost because right. a dev comes in and says, I have no idea how to use this, or even worse, this looks like it's going to be awful to be able to integrate. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I would, that might be when they go and they, do their searches and they find something else, they find an alternative. And so that would be a situation where having some attraction content for a developer would make sense for that type of company. Uh, but you, this is where you want to have documentation dialed in. This is where use cases would help, uh, making it super clear when they arrive um, that you're solving the problem that they have been asked to solve. And, uh, and, and certainly kind of sample apps and getting started guides, the same sort of things you'd want to see in a developer-focused company, you still want to see. You want to see that that great developer experience because you're either looking for the thumbs up or you're even looking for them to further champion it within their organization, but not necessarily to discover it. So a lot of those things still have to be there. Um, but uh, I've had companies like that come and say, we want to be the stripe of such and such. And I caution them that not everyone not everyone has to be the stripe of whatever you're doing. Um, and you still want to have some of those basics that Stripe does have, but you don't have to. That's not, that's not your bar. That's not everyone's bar, right? I think, Adam, it's kind of ironic here, right? Because... Uh, in the developer enabled area, developers can kill the deals. So the difference that you can make, <laughs> you can move the needle way more for those companies in, in some ways, if you think about it, because so so we do a bunch of integrations for our clients. Um, and I can tell you that, yeah, reading documentation or API documentation or doing integrations with those type of vertical companies uh, where developers don't do the discovery is pretty painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I can I can definitely kill deals because I might have in specific verticals, uh, you know, uh, these are like business verticals, kind of boring stuff. Um, I might have learned an existing API. It might be just yeah. a little bit better documented. And I'm like, no way, these guys are better. Um, yep. Yeah. You, having a, a preferred tool and being able being able to to say, I, I just find, hey, I, I think just we find should go it, over here. Yeah. I just find it so ironic because the stuff that you do, <laughs> those guys are starting from such a low base. If they just did a tiny little bit of 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 your yes. stuff, they would win. Many many times it is just small tweaks, and that is that's definitely what I. <laughs> encourage folks to do it's not especially if i hear we want to be the stripe of it's like no just take a look at i mean the we've broken down 
around developer experience and the 13 criteria. So take a look at one of those a quarter and do something, right? You'll, yeah, yeah. you'll, uh, you'll definitely see improvements um, as, as you do that. Do you think, um, do you think developer enabled will become the majority? Because developer enabled seems like it's, it's the place where a lot of vertical solutions live. Yeah, I, I think I think it already is, honestly, mm. the majority. Um, I I think there many of those we don't even see. I mean, how many APIs exist uh, on you know behind uh, uh, behind firewalls, right? That uh, that are opened up for particular partners uh, right. that are not at all marketed, right? Like the the vast majority for sure fits into that mold. And Unfortunately, most of those. I just want to be yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's yeah. such a terrible thing to work with. Yep. Often, often is. Yeah. Uh, and so, and I think there's certainly, so my past also includes uh, some time at Zapier. And so certainly I worked on the platform there, which is connecting the, the APIs, uh, marketing the platform. Uh, and I mean, we were under 750 when I started and, and I think a couple thousand when I left, it was, uh, uh, yeah, quite the, and they have continued to grow into the many thousands. I don't, I don't even know how much they're kind of pointing to that number anymore because it's hard to keep up. Um, but, uh, many, many tools that need to integrate with other tools. And those are just really the, the SaaS tools that, that we're familiar with finding and signing up for and trying. Right. And, uh, yeah. And so you have all those, most of those are developer enabled. Um, uh, if there's a, if there's a tool to be built and then, yeah, many others that, that's, uh, aren't on Zapier or any of Zapier's competitors and aren't, uh, yeah, aren't broadcast at all. Maybe there's a partnerships page, right? That vaguely describes if you fill out this form that you might hear back about something. <laughs> when, when you, I mean, just to, just kind of narrow in on the actual work of doing those integrations. Um, was that super painful? How, how, how did Zapier organize it so that, Developers could efficiently integrate with new APIs. Was it just a? Did people just brute force it, or did was so there some it's, special techniques it, used, or what? So it, it's the the platform that enables it and says, "Here's how you connect an API into triggers and actions, which are the two primary methods, right? New data coming in triggers a, a zap and." Data goes out as an action, uh, and those roughly connect to endpoints, but usually not one to one. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a this requires multiple calls, right? And so, enabling the description of those and putting a lot of that work on the provider themselves. So very few of the Zapier integrations are um, are built and maintained internally by Zapier. So most of those are external partners who have connected their API to it. 
it's still a lot of work on on both of their parts to understand uh, when it has problems and where to address those problems. And the the larger question for me in my time there, uh, which is relevant to our conversation here, is is that even a developer on the other side? And so I would say in in many cases, uh, that Zapier platform audience is developer enabled, or in some, in some cases, mm-hmm. uh, someone someone attempt so it's someone in product or support, sometimes marketing, someone who wants to say yes to to a user on on do you do you support this do you integrate with this uh, or solve their problem, and that often in a SaaS company is not. A developer who's attempting to to solve that problem, and so that was one of the things that I've written about this too. That, that uh, we discovered is just how how not developery in the traditional sense that all of us who are talking about DevRel would think about developers that Zapier audience is the Zapier platform audience. Uh, it's a little more like the. Uh, the primary Zapier audience than I think I even recognized going in. Do you think uh, we're going to see a lot of AI agents and things like that starting to talk to things like Zapier now? Is that should we be worried? <laughs> I I don't know about worried, but it's definitely I think we will quickly get overwhelmed by all of those tools, and uh, it will certainly be about figuring out which ones actually do what we want to do, right? Which ones help our work and which ones are kind of a distraction. Yeah, I mean, this, um, is, the, this, is, the, I, this is the internet-connected yeah. coffee pot, and this is Skynet. <laughs> it's like, stick to the coffee pot. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, okay, I, 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 I really like this distinction. I, and I assume your book kind of covers it at a structural level, right? This developer focused developer first versus developer enabled. Uh, right. I think that's a really powerful model to, to approach this issue um, at a strategy level. Uh, it has been, it's been helpful uh, with clients and with even leads that don't turn into clients to help them realize that a lot of the, in some cases it narrows down the scope because it's like, oh, we we don't need to be the stripe of whatever we are. It's uh, and helps them really focus in on, on what are the what are the problems we're solving and who has those problems. Yeah, well, so here, what's our goal? Question. Yeah, here's a question for you. So, if I'm a developer enabled company, do I need to have a developer advocates? How much developer relations should I be doing? Yeah, yeah, I think that. I don't know that I have the answer to that question, but I think it is it's one worth asking for those organizations for sure. Um, I think the the work definitely looks different, much like uh, much like I've described with the content. So it's more it's more of how do we uh, how do we give someone uh, someone to interact with <laughs> to be able to help make this decision or be able to help get that thumbs up. And I mean, the more you talk about that, it sounds a lot more like sales engineering 
uh, which of course there's an element of that that DevRel has. So I think uh, or DevRel can have. So I think being able to describe exactly what that is, um, one of the things we we didn't talk about in developer enabled and that can help get the thumbs up. You mentioned the other tool that you might propose. Well, how did you find out about that tool? You may have found out about it because they have a DevRel team, gotcha. because they have yeah. some of the effort. If there's some effort put into the attraction piece, which is a little bit in the awareness bucket from a marketing perspective, but uh, if you have some effort into that, then then you've heard of it before. And so then when you get asked, oh, it's a thumbs up because you've heard people talk about it and you've even poked at it maybe at an event, right? You said, oh, this is kind of cool. Well, we don't need uh, email infrastructure right now. We, we're fine with what we have until you get into the meeting where they say, okay, we've, you know, we've adopted this big enterprise tool and we're about to sign. And you say, oh, are you sure you don't want to just use SendGrid or another kind of SMTP as a service, right? Um, and that's the so that's another piece of developer enabled that, and a reason why someone would have a DevRel team is to help with that interaction very, with the community. So yeah. it's very powerful. Yeah, it streamlines the thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're signaling that you 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 care <laughs> about developers. Yes, um, which, yes, you know. Yep. Which I care about because my boss is shouting at me, you know, and I'm the one working weekends. Yeah. Um, yep. To deal with your crappy API. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it definitely has a place. And that's interesting that you mentioned about sales engineers because there's a little bit of overlap there, isn't there? In that traditional role, uh, you know, involves going on calls and doing architecture diagram PowerPoints and that type of stuff. Right. But maybe. Maybe it's going to start migrating a little bit, evolving a little bit into developer advocacy as well. Yeah, and the the line could be could be whether someone is actually a sales leader, whether this is sort of pre-sales right uh, mm. activity. Um, and I think the line will be different for many many companies, but yeah, it's it's. It's worth, especially if if you're in DevRel at uh, what sounds like a developer-enabled company. From what we've talked about here, it's it's a question kind of worth asking. What are the what are the the activities that make the most sense given my company, my product? Right. Absolutely, Adam. Uh, we have come to the end of the line. Unfortunately, we could keep going forever. Uh, this is super. Super intriguing stuff. Um, thank you so much for the books. I think one of the things they do is add to the baseline foundation of knowledge slash figuring out what developer relations actually is. One of the things that's really come out from this podcast is we're so early. We're not quite making it up, but yeah. we're, we're figuring it out for sure, right? We've got at least another five or 10 years yeah. to really before we even understand what best practices are, how to measure stuff properly. Um, so what, what you know, you putting it down on paper um, is, is really helping the community. Uh, thank well, you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And it was great to be part of this. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. And I look forward to book number three <laughs> next year. 
That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get to work. <laughs> All righty. Take care, Adam. Bye-bye. All right. See ya. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgig.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgig.com slash newsletter or follow our Twitter at voxgig. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.